Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mobile hunters, if you're interested in upping your mobile game, then head to tetherednation.com and check out their saddle gear. There are a few things you can actually buy that will help you become a better deer hunter or give you the freedom to hunt any tree or any situation. This is the reason why I started saddle hunting in the first place and why I use Tethered's gear. I can honestly say that Tethered's saddle gear has changed how I hunt for the better. Big tree, little tree, from the ground, it doesn't matter. I'm untethered by my gear to hunt the best setup for the situation, instead of hunting for a tree that my gear can use. My current core setup consists of the Phantom Saddle, Tethered One Sticks, and the Predator Platform, along with an assortment of their accessories. So if you want to up your mobile game, head over to tetherednation.com. If you're like me, you spend lots of time poring over maps, looking at weather data, all in an effort to help predict when and where my best times to hunt will be. It'd be nice if there was a reliable source with all this information in one place. Enter the Spartan Forge app. Unlike some other predictive apps on the market, Spartan Forge was created from military combat intelligence experience tailored for hunters and stands at the nexus of machine learning and white-tailed deer hunting. No more man-made algorithms. This is a predictive model based on real GPS collared deer data, historical and predictive weather, and the next level of mapping imagery, all at my fingertips. I've been using the iOS app this season, and it has replaced all my other mapping tools. Visit SpartanForge.ai and sign up today, or head to your iOS or Android app store. Use the promo code TRUTH to save some money and download it today. Welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast, brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 288. Today, I'm joined by Justin Hollinsworth, and we're talking chasing down big deer and drifting tracks. So stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you're doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. It is it is one week closer to fall. And finally, actually, my, my fall is set. Um, I know what I'll be doing. Uh, the draw uh, results came out for Kansas this past, uh, this past weekend, and I drew a Kansas tag again this year. So super stoked for that. I was kind of on the fence, actually, uh, to be honest. It was one of those things where... Um, you know, not going to lie, man, you know, the price of gas and things like that. It was in the back of my mind. I think I might've mentioned this before is that that thought was kind of creeping in like, eh, wouldn't be so terrible this year if I didn't draw Kansas and, uh, actually stuck around closer to home, uh, for this, uh, for this fall, for the entirety of the fall. But, 
Um, I actually put in for the draw, you know, before um, we kind of knew what was going to happen and with, you know, gas prices and all those types of things. So I'm not going to complain. Uh, Kansas is a super cool place to hunt. Uh, we have been looking forward to going back there actually since uh, since I left <laughs> in November empty handed. Um, it's just a super cool place to hunt. I really enjoyed being on the ground, hunting on the ground. Um, and now, you know, this this time around, I have a little better idea of what I'm doing and have a little better idea where I need to focus on is in, in terms of, of finding deer. So I have a little bit more of a game plan than I had, um, had last year. Last year I was out there for, uh, right around two weeks. It was like 14, 15 days, something like that. Uh, this year it'll probably more around like the seven, eight kind of, uh, days. Um, just because I have a little bit of familiarity, um, and because I'm going to Idaho, uh, for the elk hunt at the end of uh, at the end of August as well. So I don't have quite as much time to spend in Kansas as I, as I had, um, the previous year. So those are my hunt plans for the year. I'll do a podcast here coming up, you know, in the next few weeks or some time over the summer where we're really kind of detailed, like the, you know, the, the plans and, um, the goals for the upcoming year. But, you know, right now it's Idaho, uh, you know, so super stoked for that chase some elk with my buddy Wilson. And then, you know, as soon as I get back from that trip, uh, I guess early September, I'll be back. And then just, I think two weeks after that, I think my area in PA opens up. So I'll be chasing whitetails then, uh, during the part of the early season, uh, into October in, in PA, yeah, get up to that big woods piece a little bit. Um, and then off to Kansas, uh, after, after that, you know, if, if something happens crazy and I end up tagging out somewhere early, might try to slip something else in. Uh, but for right now, that is the, uh, that is the plan. I haven't completely committed to what week, I'm going to go to Kansas yet. I'm probably going to go the same time frame I went last year, at least to start the hunt. Uh, it was like, I think the second week of, of November was when I, uh, is when I got out there and, and, and started hunting. And I think I'm probably going to do the same thing again this year. Uh, that just felt like that first week, it just felt, you know, pretty slamming as far as the activity. We had a nice flurry, the first kind of handful of days we were there. And then, like the back end of that first week, it started kind of dying off a little bit. Um, so what I may end up doing is just maybe spending some time that first week of November here in PA, maybe up in that big woods piece. Cause I got a good bead on some things for at least that first week of November. Uh, so may end up doing that. Um, if, I, if something doesn't shake out be, uh, before that, but I'll put the final details of that together here in the next couple of months, have a little bit of time, but at least now I know where I'm headed and there's not really any, any, uh, any guesswork. So with that, we're going to go ahead and just jump into today's show. Have a cool show for you guys today. Have on Mr. Justin Hollinsworth. I'm sure a lot of you folks out there know of Justin, know of his handiwork. He's one of those dudes, um, that if you're not familiar, you should probably get familiar pretty quick. Um, guy, guy kills hammers. I mean, just to put it in the shortest and simplest, uh, simplest terms, he's one of those dudes that, you know, finds a target buck and focuses primarily on a single deer and will chase that deer down, um, and surgically remove him from the, from the landscape. Uh, he's of the kind of DeQuisto, um, uh, family tree, if you will, you know, a lot of, uh, his approach is, is very similar to what you would think of in terms of, of Andre and things like that. And he's had a close relationship with Andre for, um, for a bunch of years. So it's not a, so it's not a surprise. And he, you know, he's oftentimes killing a lot of his deer in that, you know, October timeframe where people just feel like maybe it, it, it can't get done, but he consistently does it and does it on, on hammer bucks. Um, some of the stuff we talk about today is, as you would imagine, is just, you know, his approach to kind of, uh, tracking down a, a singular deer. Um, 
one of the things we touched on, you know, and we get kind of deep into is really kind of the idea of, you know, he used to run dogs a lot when he was a kid. And that was really kind of where he cut his teeth. And so we start talking about how dogs, coon dogs specifically, will drift tracks and his kind of thinking on how deer might use tracks and track scent, um, you know, things that he learned from, from, from working dogs and how that kind of really plays into how he thinks about access, whether he's accessing a farm or a knock on door permission. That's a lot of what he, he hunts is a, is a lot of knock on door, uh, permission. He did just recently buy his, his own farm, his first farm, um, of his life. And, uh, but prior to that, I mean, primarily what he hunts is just knock on door permission. So he's not, you know, really able to set it up necessarily. And, you know, does has to do a lot of the scouting, figuring it out. And we talk about his process for that and that it's not necessarily, you know, uh, turnkey where he walks in and just kind of knows what's happening, you know, like anyone else. Um, it's a process for him and he goes through his process of understanding access where the deer want to be and how he can surgically kind of remove the best deer on that, on that property. Um, when he, when he tracks that deer down or when he finds that deer. So that's essentially what we talk about today. A uh, super cool conversation. Justin's just a good salt of the earth kind of dude. Um, one of those guys I'm sure I will stay in touch with, uh, for, for a long, long time and hope you guys dig the, uh, dig the chat as much as I did. So without further ado, we'll go ahead and jump into the show as always. Thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the truth from the stand deer hunting podcast. And today I've got on Mr. Justin Hollinsworth. What's going on, man? How are you? Good, good. I'm uh, excited to be on. I've, I've been listening to your podcast for a long time. Man, I, I, truth be told, man, I should have had you on a lot sooner. You've been like one of the guys. I always say say this to folks. It's I have but so many weeks in a year to try to get people on, you know, and you try to I try to time it to where, you know, guys like yourself that are just have a wealth of information that I time it to where people can actually use it. You know what I mean? So where, yeah, you know, I try sure. to cover different things, like as it gets into late season and like the off season where it's more, um, you know, focused on shed hunting or whatever the case is, but like the real guys like you, that are real tacticians and real strategists and stuff like that. I always like to have them on during the summer and then into the fall, like leading into like those prime times where people really use the information. So hence it's taken me a few years to finally get you on, but, uh, but I'm glad you're here, man. Yeah, no, I'm excited to be on. I like I said, I've I've listened for a long time. Um, had some, you know, you've had some of my good friends on uh, Troy Pottinger, uh, Byron Horton. I think's been on. I mean, there's been a few of my good buddies been on there. Yeah, yeah. Troy's a good Troy's a good dude, man. He uh, that guy's scrape game is um is is next level, dude. I I adopted the the Pottinger method uh last year for sure. Um, and am seeing. In the brief period of time that I was able to implement it last year, I started seeing the rewards already. And then Byron's oh, just it a, for sure works. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm there's no turning back now. And and Byron's just a good dude, kills great deer. Mm-hmm. But what I really like about him is we're we're both kind of gear nerds a little bit, and he's always looking for like the DIY everyday guy. How can I make this as cheap as possible? Because I got a family, I got to put gas in my car. Like I love yeah, that. I yeah. love that about him. Yeah, that's definitely him. Yeah, sure. yeah. Pinching pennies, man. That guy would rub two pennies together to come out with a dime. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Well, man, I'm sure there's a lot of folks out there listening that, you know, have heard of you, know who you are, or have seen some of the some of the stuff that you've laid down on video. But for anyone out there that's listening that doesn't know who you are, would you mind just giving them a little bit of background about yourself? You know, where you live, what you do for a living? Okay. Um. So... Born and raised in Ohio, um, kind of live more in the central part of the state, and I grew up in the northern part of the state. Um, 
you know, like a lot of guys, uh, my grandfather got me into hunting and I just kind of progressed over the years. And, um, uh, never went to college. Um, I just went into the trades, uh, right out of high school. And I was a, I was a drywall hanger, metal stud framer. And that's kind of, you know, that's what I cut my teeth on. That's how I made my living. And then slowly over time, just kind of, you know, worked up and, you know, was a journeyman carpenter to a foreman to, uh, you know, a project manager. Now, uh, now all these years later, like, which is crazy to say, it's like 27, 28 years now in the business. Uh, now I'm a vice president of operations for, um, uh, for a commercial uh, drywall metal studs company. Nice, nice. And yeah, I just... I just always went off the theory of like, um, I'm just going to outwork everybody. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, that's one of those things where, you know, it's funny. My, my wife and I have this conversation sometimes just, you know, we have a daughter, she's 13 and you know, uh, what she might do after, right. It's never too early to kind of think about, you know, what she might get into once she's done with, you know, high school and stuff like that. And we're always kind of of the mind where, you know, I don't want to pressure her to think that she has to necessarily go to college so long as she's committed to whatever it is she's going to do. Right. Yeah, I, for sure. You know, cause I think to me, that's the, the thing that you can't, um, you can't buy, you know what I mean? Like you can go buy yourself an education and not saying that it's they're not, it's not worth something. Like I, I went and got one. Right. So, mm-hmm. and it's worked yeah. and it's worked out for me, but it's also a combination of, I did that, but I also am willing to work, you know, and, you know, and it's not necessarily the route that you have to take. And that's kind of the, you know, the impression I want to leave with her is that whatever it is you want to do, if you're willing to put the time into it and the effort into it, you can make of it whatever it is you want to make of it, you know, but without that, doesn't matter what route you take, you're not going to find success, which very true in the deer world <laughs> as For well, sure. as well, man. For sure. You know, um, so you mentioned your grandfather kind of got, got you started. So was it, was he big into deer hunting. You know, I know a lot of guys and it's funny cause a lot of guys that I know like yourself, that are just, that are killers. I, I find it kind of interesting that they've, a lot of them started off similarly kind of how you mentioned, like grandfather got him into it, but they started off really kind of focused on small game where it wasn't big game. Wasn't necessarily the introduction, I guess you, you could say. And even it wasn't necessarily the, the addiction early on per se, as, as much as it was just the introduction to woodsmanship and the outdoors. Yeah, he was, um, <clears throat> he was a little more, uh, he was a traditional archer. Okay. Um, is what he liked, but he always gun hunted. And then we, um, um, we always went down to West Virginia too, for like rifle season two, growing up as a kid. Like I remember sitting in that little cabin and, you know, and during like around Thanksgiving and stuff like that. And that was a big, that was a big deal to him and I. Usually it was just him and I that did that trip um, by ourselves. And, um, he, you know, he he wasn't a trophy hunter. I mean, he, I remember, you know, he would always say, yeah, you know, if, if, a, if a big one comes along, I'd shoot it. But he, he just, he was just more or less going out there to the freezer. And, um, I just tagged along. I think I was seven or eight years old and my dad who was not a hunter, but put a little drive on behind my grandpa's house during gun season. I was little. I mean, I was seriously probably seven, eight years old. 
And my, and my dad pushed a doe out to my grandpa. And my grandpa shot this doe. And literally, it was like the first or second time I'd ever gone deer hunting. And and um, I seen that. And and uh, I was hooked from that day forward. I mean, I just, I loved it. I just loved hunting. Like, I loved squirrel hunting and rabbit hunting. And I got into trapping for a while. And then, um, and I bow hunted. And then I got into bow hunting, like, later on when I was a teenager. And, um, and it's just, I didn't, I didn't have like a real good teacher or like, uh, he, he was, he hunted, but then that, by that t- point in time, he was having some health issues and stuff like that. So right. I was kind of just going out and doing my own thing and, uh, trying to figure it out and, you know, reading, you know, every magazine I could possibly, you know, possibly get my hands on especially anything that Miles Keller was in, then I was definitely buying that magazine. Right. And, um, and so then I remember, um, um, I'd seen some big ones, had some encounters, just blew them. Um, just cause I couldn't, you know, keep my, keep my shit together basically. <laughs> and, you know, just fall apart in the moment, you know, because yeah. you, you almost couldn't believe your eyes when it was starting to happen, kind of thing. And, um, and then I, I think I just kind of gravitated later because I just didn't have the success I was looking for early on. And I got really into coon hunting and raising and training competition dogs. That was like, I was way into that hmm. for a while. And I ran dogs and did and competed in hunts all over the place. And I mean, I think I was like 17 or 18. I, I took a 10 month old pup to the, to, um, Walker days in Kalamazoo, Michigan, Michigan, growing up this old, like piece of shit Toyota truck that I had. And I qualified for it, drove it up there and, um, almost won the whole thing. Nice. With a, with a 10 month old pup. Nice. I think it was like, I was on top of the world then. <laughs> right. Right. I bet, man. I bet the, uh, it's funny. Cause I think I saw a picture of a young Justin Hollinsworth with a dog. Not so, uh, Oh yeah. you know, and, uh, it's, it's interesting, man. So I, so how often, cause so Tony Peterson, right. Is, is big into dogs. Um, mm-hmm. you know, he hunts all kinds mm-hmm. of, you know, upland critters and, and stuff like that. And I've talked to him in the past and he's just like, Clint, he's like, you wouldn't believe the type of deer habitat in the odd places that I jump the biggest bucks. And I always typically find them whenever I'm bird hunting somewhere. Did you kind of come across, do you come across similar things when you were, when you were working dogs a lot? I mean, did you just, you know, run across all types of kind of odd kind of out of the way places you would never think there would be a big buck hold up and you know, by God, there you go. There's, there's a giant there. And I just, you know, bumped him while I was quail hunting or whatever the case was. Oh, for sure. I mean, well, <clears throat> I didn't do a lot of quail hunting, a lot of pheasant hunting, you know, mine was mostly coon hunting, which is nice. Right. But I still ran into some, uh, you know, giant deer that I jumped out of like, you know, a fence row in the middle of, you know, just 500 acres of just wide open fields. Right. Where, and or um you know just a, a little swale you know in the middle of nowhere you know just i just like just they have some odd odd places for sure i can tell you this um 
when you're out there, you know, because I'd be out there in October, November, can't I? Mm-hmm. And I find my license and giant deer. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, you, I, I still recall a giant. Now, I mean, maybe this deer is not as big as what he is in my mind today, but you know how when you're a kid, like what you think is big and now what you might think is big. But I remember this deer walking within 10 or 15 yards of me while I was standing in a bean field by myself one night listening, listening to my dog. Um, and he came up on me. It was in November. And I mean, and he was just swelled up and huge. And and he actually made me really nervous because he acted like he wasn't scared of me at all. Right. He was like, in my mind, like that deer in my mind looks like the whole horn deer. Right. <laughs> and he might not be, but that's what he looks like in my mind these days, you know? Right, right. So I'm curious, man, how, so running dogs, do you, what do you think you took from that experience that has helped you, you know, in your, in your deer hunting as you got older and started, you know, you know, like you said earlier, not necessarily blowing opportunities, but getting on big deer and like kind of sealing, sealing the deal. Is there anything that you picked up from running dogs, whether it's, you know, being in tune with kind of picking up, you know, animal behaviors, even though a dog is different, of course, but kind of starting to learn like the language of animals of how, when their behavior change and, and what might create those changes and how that might translate to deer. Is there anything like that that you picked up along the way? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I definitely did. Uh, the one thing I will say, the one thing I, I did pick up pretty early on is like, I always noticed like, it, you know, whenever there was a lot of moisture in the air or anything like that, just the way that a dog could smell was just like, it was like times 10. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was so much better. I mean, it just, and that, or, uh, or if you were out on, you know, some sub zero, you know, snowy night um and how 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 bad it was for you know how hard it was for them to to be able to pick up those tracks and stuff like that it kind of taught it kind of made me think from a from a hunting standpoint uh at times when i want to get a little you know you know you got to take chances to kill big deer and there was times where i was like you know what like it's super bitter cold it's not the ideal win, but I, you know, I'm going to take the chance because maybe I can get by because they can't smell as good on a particular, uh, on a day like that or on a day where a lot of moisture in the air, stuff like that, where I'm like, okay, I'm going to a farm where there's a lot of deer and, and sometimes that's, that's hard. That's a hard, that's a really hard hunt because what you're trying to get past to get to actually what you want to shoot, um, that can all be blown up real quick. Um, if you're not careful in the way that you go about it. So if you're hunting on one of those days where there's just a ton of moisture in the air and stuff like that, just being really methodical on like understanding the wind and the thermals and everything and that little spot that you're going to go to and how you're going to get there and understanding like what's going to cross your tracks and stuff like that knowing that they can smell twice as good today than they typically can so yeah. um yeah i 
definitely picked up a lot of that from dogs. Um, yeah, over it's, the years. it's interesting. I forget who I had on a while ago, and we were talking about, I remember how we got on the topic, but we were talking about precipitation, just weather related to, to deer movement. And it might have been the guys from MSU Deer Lab, but don't quote me on that. And mm-hmm. there was a study that was kind of interesting where it's like when you got further north, like deer would move more often in the rain. It wasn't, I think it was uh, observation and they didn't necessarily have enough data to make it a, you know, and they didn't do the study in such a way that they could make it like a, a concrete finding necessarily. And the deer up North, whenever it got a little bit of precip, like within a certain, you know, volume of rain or type of rain or whatever the case was, the deer activity and movement increased, which I think we all kind of somewhat anecdotally kind of see that as hunters, like you always kind of like those Mm -hmm. little, misty overcasty days right because to your point it's like some of those days you want to that where the deer doesn't have the advantage you want to you want to hunt but we also know that when they have the advantage is when they're most likely to to move if you have a spot that you can get in and you know and, and conceal yourself but down south what they found was is that they didn't move nearly as often in, during the rain which is interesting but the higher the humidity day was it didn't matter necessarily so much the temperature but the humidity the higher the humidity was the more often they would move or the more active they were. Which, oh yeah, I which, can see that. Yeah, which was kind of interesting. Yeah, you know, because you would think deer are deer. If they like the rain here, they would like the rain anywhere. But it was it was the opposite. In South, they liked the humidity, not the rain. Here, they didn't care so much for the humidity, but they liked the rain, which was well, interesting. Well, well, and I noticed too, like when I was running dogs, that there was a lot of times, say we were like in a drought or something like that, and I was out in the summertime with a lot of my dogs or whatever. And when it was really when it was really dry and you know, we're in a two, three, four week drought or something like that. You know, where we just haven't really got any rain. I mean, the dogs would struggle a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to consistently, you know, stay on that track because a good competition coon dog will drift the track. They won't run right on the track. They will drift. It. They will use the wind mm-hmm. because what they're trying to do, and my, this is what, I think, anyways, what they're trying to do is they're trying to run the coon down, mm-hmm. and they're trying to ultimately they love, they would like to catch it on the ground. Mm-hmm. And some really good competition dogs, um, a lot of the old timers they called it, you know, having a hot nose, and and so what they would do instead of running like right, you know, and following that track exactly where the coon went, they would like drift it and cut it and cut cut it off at certain points so they could run it faster mm-hmm. and and ultimately treat the coon faster and so um and i noticed like on the super dry days like that like that just wasn't happening like they would have to work that track exactly where that that animal had walked so it was a little it was a little different Hmm. I think, I I think a deer can, I think a deer can drift your track. So I was just thinking of that and it made me think of, it made me start thinking about access a little differently. Like, Mm -hmm. so I guess, I guess, let me just ask you that, like knowing that and like the time you spent running dogs and especially when you start thinking about dogs drifting tracks and and maybe deer are able, or I mean, I'm sure they're able to, because they smell, you know, however many times more, you know, or better than, than a dog does. How do you kind of, um, I guess, let me ask it this way. 
how meticulous is your access, knowing everything that you know, kind of how dogs react and how they drift tracks and, you know, and, and, and taking into consideration how much moisture is in the air and things like that. What, what extent and what pains do you go through to, to have clean access? And I, and I, and I guess exit as well. Uh, I, I, I worked on that a lot. I mean, to me, well, I'll just say this. I just, re- I just recently purchased my first bar. And I was really, really set on, like, I wanted Northeast access to the bar. Um, and, you know, preferably, like, the bedding more towards, you know, the opposite end of the farm so I could set things up um, purposely, you know, in a way to get in and out clean, you know, clean. Because, yeah, I, if it's a new farm, I would probably spend have a little extra time well I actually a lot more time in the winter walking it and trying to understand how to get in and out of it and just trying to get the feel of how everything lays and um and then I I will come into some of those spots and say yeah this looks like a great spot and this is how I'll access it and I'll have kind of a game plan of like how I'm going to you know, come in and maybe that's using some terrain features or maybe there's a ditch or a creek or 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 you know maybe there's gonna be some standing corn come you know over there or whatever. And I'll try to use something to my advantage just to kind of um to be able to to come in and out from a visual standpoint. Sometimes the set things tough mm-hmm. because you know it's I, unless you know the farm and you've spent some time there hunting it, um, it, it takes a little time. I, I sometimes think it takes two years to learn a farm. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, th- I think there's times where it's like, I, I, that's what I, a buddy of mine asked me. He was like, he goes, you think you'll kill a buck on your farm this year? I said, no. I said, I, I said, I'd like to, I said, that'd be ideal, but. I'm like, I I don't. I said, I don't even know how the deer really moved through that farm yet because I've never sent a tree not once at a time. So, um, so I guess to your point, like, it just depends, you know, it's all situational. Um, and, but I know I try to do a lot of legwork in February, March, into April of how I'm going to get in and out of, of the new farm at the areas. Here's the other part of that goes back to is like then you go into the season and um you know sometimes it's like what you seen during that time frame is not matching what you're seeing now and you gotta hunt the, you know you gotta hunt the hottest sign so right you, you know you you gonna throw that out the window sometimes right and I think that's sometimes where people get hung up right is that mm-hmm. you know we all know you know that. Entry and exit is 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 critical. It, it'll it it kills more your entry or poor access kills more hunts than than probably almost anything else for for a lot of for a lot of hunters. And I think sometimes people have a hard time kind of wrapping their head around. It's like, well, if my access has to be so kind of pristine, how can I justify getting down in the middle of a day in scouting for hot sign, you know, and then resetting up and and maybe crossing a trail where a deer might want to walk or where a buck might, you know, come through this, you know, thicket or whatever the case is. I think that they sometimes, you know, 
aren't sure kind of how to wrap their their head around that. So how do you how do you mitigate that, right? Because like there's a there's a level of aggression that you want to have to try to put yourself in the right spot or put yourself in the chip, so to speak. There's also a level of um, uh, care, I guess, that needs to be taken to kind of make those decisions at the right time of day, uh, with the right conditions, and, and and so forth. So how do you how do you balance that? After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. I think it's case by case, and I think um, I think it's typically if typically if I'm setting the farm, there's probably a pretty good deer in there mm-hmm. um, that I either knew about from the year before, or I last in the summer, or not, or I got pictures of, or whatever. Like, but typically going into it with a game plan of like, you know, typically, I mean, on average is like, there's only one deer on one particular farm that I'm typically after. Right. So if I don't see, I might go in and start somewhere and it might be from a distance um, just to see if I can see something. And then sometimes it's just, I, I kind of use a little bit of approach of like, eh, maybe I'll creep in, you know, uh, a little farther mm-hmm. the next e- evening. And, um, and then I just kind of, until, until I see him or see him, or, you know, on a camera do a certain thing or something. And then sometimes, and sometimes I worse enemy mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Um, some, Sometimes I even, even though I know what it takes to get it done, I still sometimes will uh, sometimes pussyfoot around a little bit and not probably make the move that I need need to um, quicker. Uh, but I, I typically want them to show me their cards somehow, right? right. And then, then I go, then like last year, for example, like. That deer showed me. He showed me his cards, and 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 he pushed that doe right back into that bedding area where I had found his shed, and I'm like, I'm just and then I went for it and I killed it. Right. So, yeah, that's uh, that's one thing that like over the course of time of doing this this show, and it, it made me actually think of. Uh, I know we mentioned Troy earlier in the mm-hmm. in the podcast, but that was one of the things that. You know, I took a lot of things away from just chatting with him and texting with him and stuff like that. But the one thing he really kind of impressed upon me was that, you know, the deer will tell you, will will show you if you're paying, yeah. att- if you're paying attention, you know, yep. if, if you're paying attention to the sign, if you're reading it correctly, the, if, and if you give them the time, you know, it, and it may not happen in a given season, if you're chasing a particular deer, you know, it might take two seasons to put all the puzzle pieces together or whatever. 
But his point was, was that if you, if you see all the pieces of the puzzle and you pay attention, they will show you their cards over time and you Mm -hmm. will, and you will know what that deer is going to do or wants to do essentially. Um, which was something that I think sometimes we try, I think maybe we rush to judgment and maybe we have, uh, disparate pieces that are that seem disconnected at the time, but they're actually connected. We're not sure how they're, how they connect. I think that's, yeah. I think that that's the biggest kind of uh, the challenge, right? Is that not seeing the connective tissue between them? Yeah. And that's kind of what happened in that case. So I was in there in the morning and I hunted and I seen him come out and he pushed a doe out and, and he pushed the doe out and he just followed around out in the field that morning for a little bit. And then, he pushed her back into that into that area where I found a shed where I, I thought he might be bedding. So as soon as he did that, because um, I hunted in the morning and then I and then I had to go to work. And so I got down and I went over there and I just kind of did a little poking around and there was there was two trails coming coming out and they split around this like little water hole or whatever that was in there. And and they kind of split coming around that water hole or whatever. And but the bigger tracks, the, the, well, there's big tracks coming out of both both of those two trails. But I I had to split the difference. But splitting the difference meant I was going to be a little farther from one of the one, whatever one trail that I set up on mm-hmm. uh, with the way, the way the trees were in there. And so when I did that. I kind of hugged the other trail, which was going to give me like a 20, like a 15 or 20 yard shot. And because there was some good rubs coming down it mm-hmm. rather than the other one. And, and so I'm like, it just makes sense. You know, the sign, there was more sign on that side of it. Right. Well, I set the stand, got out of there, went to work, work. Came back, got back in there, and and when they when the doe stood up, she was about eighty yards, and and then I don't know how I didn't see him. Well, honestly, now that I think back back on it, <laughs> I don't know how I didn't see that deer's rack, and um, and then he stood up shortly after that, and then worked those trees. And then when he got up to follow her back to the field where they were feeding in the morning where he was following around, instead of taking the trail that I was closest to, they took the other one, <laughs> which would, which gave me like a 40, it ended up being a 44-yard shot through the timber. Right. Man. Which is not what I wanted to do. That's the farthest I've ever shot away in my life. Right. And and I can shoot it. I obviously it did on that day, but it's, that's ideal not what I wanted to do, but you gotta, that's what the sign was telling me, you know, and I just had to, I had to, I had to go off of what was there. And then it was funny because I don't know if you, I don't know if you do this, but a lot of times after I kill a deer, then I really, then I'm like, okay, I really want to go in there and see what was going on. Yeah. So I got in there and I was like, like you know like it then it just like it really makes sense to you and oh yeah i could have made that i could have made that so i could have killed that deer so much quicker than i did but (laughs) yeah it was like the one i the one i it made me think of the one i shot in iowa because like when i finally got up in the business 
and, and killed that deer. And then I took a walk about after I found him, I was like, Oh man, like I should have been in here like five days ago. <laughs> you know, I was kind of, yeah. I was messing around on the outside trying to, you know, chasing this one particular deer and kept seeing him, but I wasn't really, I was always just like, a. well, I mean, I, th- I think I told you this when we were talking the other day, but I, I, I'd missed mm-hmm. him twice, but I would have had a better opportunity if I just would have been a little bit more aggressive and got back where I needed to, you know, back where I found all that, all the sign once I finally took a walk about, um, but hindsight's 2020, I guess, you know, you could almost do that on every, on every single, on every single deer, you know, at that, at, at that point. But, uh, I'm well, curious. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You know what's, um, I did, um, a while back I did a, I did a podcast with, uh, Mark Kenyon mm-hmm. and, um, I remember he's, he answered a question at the end of it and he really kind of threw me for a loop, you know, he had some questions at the end and it was like, you know, if you had a billboard, what would it say on there? Right. And, and I remember sitting there thinking, I was like, oh my God, what would that say? You know, like, and I remember thinking, I'm like, you know, sometimes you have to make your, you have to make yourself uncomfortable and you got to come out of your, your, your comfy little box over there and like, not you get you can you can easily as a hunter get trapped into doing things that don't consistently work Mm -hmm. um because of the 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 fear of failure Mm yeah and i i 100 agree with that i i think that you also see and part of that is is that like you see people get married to spots because they've mm-hmm. shot a deer one place one time, they think, or they, or because they've done that once, they want to do it again and again at the same spot. Whenever things around them are changing, and they need to kind of change either their strategies or their setups or whatever, the, whatever the case is. And I think that that's that's one of the things that certainly has helped me over time is just knowing that, you know, I almost kind of go into every season, you know, doing my scouting and stuff like that, and I have some, you know, preconceived ideas of of where things could could be good, I guess is maybe one, one way to say it. And I'll validate that through cameras. And I know you and I talked about this a little bit, but I watch dates pretty closely and stuff like that. And I have a few spots that will, that will turn on around certain time frames and, and stuff like that. But then beyond those, most of the rest of my season, I usually am in uncomfortable spots that I, that I had found in the off season. And I'm like, man, I'm going to spend time here and I don't know much about it, but I need to learn it. You know what I mean? And so yeah. I'll just, and I'll just kind of do that because, um, you know, I'm either going to, I'm either going to kill something or I'm going to learn something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's, that's kind of the way I, I, I look at it And either way. Um, you know, it's a positive, positive outcome for me. I don't know if you kind of look at it the same way or not, but. I think it's, no, I think it's a great way to look at it. I think it's a great approach because, um, that a lot of times, those times that you, you may think that you're you you may think that you're not going to get anything out of that hunt or whatever. You know, sometimes those are the times that you end up picking up something, yeah. you know, that, that, you know, that is useful um, further down the road. Um, I've done that a lot over the years. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I started doing, it's helped me with that. And I'm curious if you do any of this, but is I started doing a lot more journaling after hunts and it's actually helped me you know, on tough hunts, we'll say it's helped me kind of put a positive spin on it to, you know, Mm -hmm. and, but also at the same time, I started noticing as I was like writing stuff out, I started noticing like the small little details of the hunt that a lot of times I probably wouldn't have given a second thought, 
And some of those things have been things that have like made was actually that connective tissue that we were talking about before. You know what I mean? Cause I would go back and look at like a previous hunter. I would go check some trail cameras after I wrote that stuff down and go, Oh man, whenever that, when that deer came through here, it was around the same temperature, same wind conditions. And man, you know what? The humidity was the same or whatever it was, you know, I started kind of putting the piece, like the smaller pieces together. And so would you, so then, and then you go back and you look at those notes later when you hunt that particular area or a particular deer. Yeah. Well, both. Yeah. 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 Cause I'll, you know, cause not always, I mean, you, you know, this as well as anybody does, but you know, not always will, you know, each deer has its own personality. So they're going to use areas slightly differently or whatever the case is, but I can draw pretty good analogs to get a good sense, you know, of, uh, of how they might use an area or how they might kind of act in an area. And then just generally speaking, I'll look at the spot, like the specific spot in the, the conditions relative to that and how that might play out in a, in another spot that might be a mile and a half away, you know, and see if maybe there's any, connection there of deer behaving the same way in those spots based on, you know, on those same conditions or not. And, and then I'll go back to trail camera data and just look at deer in general. So beyond just a single deer, I'll look at like all shooter bucks for that spot and be like, how did they react in this particular spot with those conditions? Did they all do the same thing? Did they do different things? Is it consistent with what I've seen a mile away? And I just start to try to put those pieces together to see if there's any kind of trends that start to pop out at me that I can start to use. And that's how I've kind of narrowed down some spots specifically like around dates, around, you know, wind conditions, especially there's one area. It's like, if it's not overcast, I, I, I probably won't hunt it just because over time it's like, I've watched it and have watched the deer use it. I've watched shooters use it. I've had some decent encounters there and it's always been with overcast days, especially if there's like a little bit of mist in the air. That's when it's been the best historically um, around like a three or four day window. Um, and so that spot there, it's like, I don't even touch it until like, I get that. Yeah, that's, no, that's good. That's, that's awesome. So let's see, I probably, the one part of it I probably don't do is, is I always end up probably keeping more of the trail camera. I, I'll keep every picture of a particular deer mm-hmm. and build a file on them. But I, I, I probably don't go, which I probably should go into depth quite like you do with keeping the notes on you know the conditions and so on and so forth because um i bet you there is a lot of times that you come across notes that you wrote down that, that i know i'm sure that me not doing that i'm probably forgetting some of those things those small things that probably do that yeah yeah I, the, the funny thing is is like where i've actually found the real value in it is I'll actually go back in the off season, you know, when I'm not even really thinking about deer hunting, I mean, I'm kind of usually always thinking about it, but whenever I'm not like actively pursuing it, you know, it's like, yeah. um, you know, March, you know, whenever I'm starting to do scouting, you know what I mean? But I'm, and I'm starting to think about next year, but I'm not really thinking about all the data that I've seen previously or whatever, or even during the summer, it's like, I have some free time. It's like, cause I keep them all in, in an app that I use. And, and I'll go through and I'll start looking at my notes and reading through the different spots that I hunted and reading through, like the notes that I took for each spot. And then I use a uh, software that kind of aggregates my pictures and then I can kind of label them and filter them and stuff like that. And I go back and I look at the weather related to those and I'll just kind of peruse through. And it's one of those things like when you're not looking for something is when it, when it pops out to you. And it's, mm-hmm. and that's kind of how I've, that's kind of how I've stumbled across some of that stuff. Cause I'd be like, Oh, well, damn, like, look at that. There's trail camera pictures. It's the weather's that. And I'll go back and look at the historical weather and be like, Oh, it was misty that day. Or it was slightly, rainy and then i'll kind of look at my notes and be like oh well 
what was the what was the hunt like? And you know, I start to compare it, and that's whenever I start to see things. It's usually not in season necessarily. It's usually after the fact when I kind of do a a debrief, right? Or if like you know, you doing what you do for a living. So if you have a really bad project, it's like you go back and you do a post mortem <laughs> on what happened. Oh yes, you know, it's it's <laughs> yeah. it's the same thing. I just kind of go back after the season's over, whenever I had a little bit of time to get away from it and do a little bit of a post-mortem on like the hunts and the spots and stuff like that and see if there's anything else I can, I can figure out from, you know, the notes that I took. Well, it's funny because a few years ago I was hunting a, I was hunting a giant, I was hunting a giant typical in Illinois. And he was like, he was in the one eighties. I, I got a sheds. So I know how big he was that year. And, um, I was looking, I, he was on, I knew he was on the farm. We had a couple pictures of him. Mostly just there in the summer. And I started, I went back and I started digging through pictures. And I noticed, I was like, man, he got really, like, between, like, the 7th and 8th of November, he got really hot on this one particular field and this one little area of that, of that, of that field. Mm -hmm. And off of, and, you know, sometimes, and deer hunting, too, is a lot of times it's just a a gut feeling, too. Mm -hmm. And you got him, I mean, I, there's been some some times over the years where I didn't follow my gut and it, it cost me a big beer. And I down that day, I just had a gut feeling. Um, I, I was like, yeah, I got a feeling that deer's going to come out at the end of the farm based off of what he did the year before. And um, I went in there and set up that evening and um, I was literally probably 20, probably 20 yards too far off the mark. He came right out of that corner. Um, he, I mean, just like, I heard one big crack in the back, like a deer was chasing something back there. And then I heard one big, loud, deep grunt. And, and um, I'm glad nobody's sitting there with me because I didn't even see the deer and I was already worked up. And <laughs> I just knew, I just in my head, I'm like, that's him. I know it. I know that's him. And and I grabbed my bow, turned the camera on, and just and and he came out of that corner that night. And I, I mean, he and he literally hit out of four corners of that field. He had three of them except for the one corner I was there. Right, chasing chasing those. And but I would never set up in there. Um, if I wouldn't have went back that. I was the evening before that. I was just digging through pictures, and I looked, and I was like, "Man, he was really active, just right there in that tight little, you know, ten-acre area. Uh, that's where he wanted to be, and but he wanted to be out of that field. And you know, I just want to get feeling and and look by and by looking at those pictures, I said, you know what? Trip. When I got to lose, I went in, set up, and I, you know, twenty twenty more yards, I. He he would have been on my wall, but right. you know it didn't play out like that. But um, yeah. How, but, how often do you? So how often when you're making decisions? Because I know you're a super strategic guy. Like you you mm-hmm. t- you typically are hunting a specific buck, and you and you learn him. You you know the property that you're hunting, and you have a plan. And you know, and not saying that you don't adjust because you do move midday, and you you know you you'll see something happen and you're not afraid to get down and move to try to get into the action or whatever the case is. But how often are you making decisions kind of with your gut on the fly that kind of flies in the face of all the information that you think, you know, 
Um, 90% of the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, probably 90% of the time. I mean, I, I, that's when I really started killing uh, a deer consistently, is when I started, you know, I always have a plan, you know, especially, yeah, I mean, I'm, Farms, maybe I've been hunting for a long time or something like that. And there's a particular deer in there or something. Like, there's a lot of times where, you know, I'll set some things up purposely, you know, um, with maybe like a small little quarter acre food plot or, 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 you know, just have some, some good access routes in and out, um, to, you know, cut them off because, you know, I put food plots on a lot of the places that, you know, um, that I hunt here. Um, but I think I've probably killed 25 deer over 125 inches. And I think I've ever, I think I've shot two deer on the plot right. because it, you know, I always looked at food plots of just like, this is just a way for me to keep the does here right? and, and keep the bucks from hanging around. It's always seemed like it was like, I always ended up killing them somewhere else, but, but it's nine. I would say ninety percent of the time, like you know, there's sometimes where I just you just get a gut feeling, and I used to fight those gut feelings off and stay put. And then when I started getting the gut feeling about something, now like I'm like quit it, we're fighting it, just go. And if you screw it up, so what? You'll you know what? Regroup and go back at it again. Yeah, that's one thing. You know, I, I know you're good buddies with uh, the DeQuistos, you know, and, and, and that was one thing just in talking to, to Cody, you know, over the years that really st- stuck with me was when I was chatting with him, we were just talking about confidence and deer hunting and, um, you know, kind of what you and I are chatting about where it's like you have all these puzzle pieces, right? And you're in, you're in a tree and you're, you're sitting there and you're going, man, I just don't know what's going to happen here. And he, he just point blank said, he's like, if you don't think you're going to kill the deer there, he's like, you never will. Why are you that? Why are you there? You yeah, know? for sure. And that was, and it was, sure. it was kind of like a light bulb moment where it's like, you know, and, and I kind of took that to to heart, and you know, and so that was really, you know, when I started being willing just to kind of like, as soon as I had, as soon as the thought crossed my mind that this might not be the right spot, I immediately forced myself to get down. I'm like, yeah. as soon as I think like, man, I just don't know if this is right, or if I'm like, oh man, I think the wind might just be not quite right for this spot. It's as soon as that thought enters my mind, it's like, I just immediately start tearing my stuff down. I'm like, all right, I got to get out of here because one, I'm going to be distracted if anything, if anything else, cause I'm only thinking about what I should be doing next and, and not be in the hunt there. And two, you know, if, it, if you don't think it's going to happen there, then, I'm, uh, then you're probably feeling like you're just wasting your time, which isn't, which isn't, you know, where your headspace needs to be when you're trying to hunt a deer either, you know? And Tony's exactly right. I mean, and, and obviously he's, he's proven that, you know, over and over that that works. I mean, it's, it's easy to get into your own head and, but man, if you think that you're in the wrong spot, then I mean, you're already, you've already taken yourself out of the game mentally, you know, so you might as well get down and get your, you know, get your head right and get into a situation that you you feel like you're, you're going to have the opportunity. I could, you know, two years ago, I went out and spent a week out at Andre's place hunting. And, and, um, that guy is, he's 60 years old. He, he, 
He's hanging multiple sets every single day. Like, <laughs> he's an animal. I mean, he's just, well, I mean, he gets after it. Like, and I didn't know how much of that that he still did. Um, cause he's, he's got a nice farm out there and, you know, he's done well for himself over the years and he bought that farm right there where he lives and, and there's stands everywhere, you know, there's stands all over the place. And it is so funny how, um, you spend that time is his approach and the way that he goes about it and his noble hunting style has never changed. He's still constantly on the move. And and hanging stands, we would we would hunt in the morning, and we get back, and we grab something. He's like, dude, we gotta go start hanging stands. Let's go. I'm like, yeah, let's go. And we would be out just running around looking for hot sun. And I killed my buck. I killed my I killed my buck one evening. And when I pulled that out, we took some pictures in the morning, and then we grabbed something to eat. And um, he goes, dude, I seen that ten go across that field the other night. He goes, we get, he goes, we got, we got, we got a good, you know, run around and do some scouting. We went in, scouted a couple areas. We both weren't feeling it. We weren't feeling it. We went into a spot and it was absolutely shredded. And we were like, it was like, you know, he's setting sticks. I'm handing him a stick. He's, you know, like, we were, like, I mean, we were on it. I mean, we were, we just knew, I mean, the sign was red hot. We went back to the house, got changed, came back in there, and I would say within an hour to hour and a half, he he shot that buck. (laughs) That's awesome. What did you, what was the big thing that you... So let me ask two questions. Was that the first question? Number one, is that the first time you've ever scouted and hunted with Andre? And two, what was your like one key takeaway that you had from, from spending time with him? Um, no, it wasn't the first time. Um, but I never, but we've never sat in a tree together. Okay. Before. Um, so, but to be there for an entire week with him and, and, um, and, you know, it was like, and he hunts almost every single day of the year too. I don't know if a lot of people realize that. Like, trust me, me and Byron goes through his footage. He hunts every day. Right. <laughs> There's no day off. We're like, it's like from October, October 1st, all the way into late season. Like he's, he's not taking off any days unless unless he, something family-wise comes up and he is, like, forced into it and he can't go. Right. But um, he's persistent. Um, he's constantly scouting, um, always looking for the, the latest, hottest sign. Um, and, and, and like I said, it's, it's kind of like all the tree stands that are on that farm from him owning a tree stand company and all these tons of good spots. That week that I was there, him and I both shot bucks and both stands were hung. Mine was hung the day before I killed my buck and nobody had ever put a stand in that, in that tree before. And he, and then the buck that he shot, we hung that stand and had that deer killed 
from the time we hung it, went back to the house, came back probably three and a half hours later. Hmm. So, you know, it just goes to show to me, like just being that mobile and, you know, always being in, in hunting the hottest sign that you can, that you can get on. It's just, I think your eyes just, yeah. just skyrocket. I, I get a, I'm getting a little bit of funk here. Uh, I would freaking openly admit, admit this. It's like, because, you know, a couple of these farms that I hunt, like I've hunted them for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I'll have some, you know, stands that I've had in some trees for a long time. And it's, it is easy every once in a while to get right back into a, a little bit of a funk where it's just easy to go to something you already got hanging. Yeah. Rather than hang another set. But just like last year, um, I seen a deer do what he did and I went in there and I moved that set in there and I pulled that deer off right off the bat. I'm like, why did it take me all this time to do that? Right. So, I mean, I think obviously you know when you're in when you're hunting mobile like that too you enjoy the the benefit of um a lot of first time sits and so i'm always curious like how how if you had to put a number on it like what percentage of the of the deer that you've killed over the years have been on first time sits versus not 90 really i always feel like those guys that kind of you know because obviously andre was one of the guys that you know really kind of brought to the forefront uh you know the, the whole kind of mobile hunting aspect of things and you know and the stuff that i've read by him or have listened to him or you know the one chance i actually had to talk to him you know it's that first time sit is king you know and so even though he might have like a million tree stands hung like you know and he might be 60 years old like he still knows at the end of the day it's like man that ambush of the first time sit is like there's nothing better right yeah Oh yeah, no, he's still. I mean, it it was funny too because just spending that time with him out there too. Like you know, before he killed that deer, like every time he hung a set in you know the middle of the day, you know, because uh, you know a lot of times he'd hang a set and then hunt it that evening, and then come and then come right back and then hunt it that you know next morning. It was always funny. I was gonna kick out of him because it was always like he was all giddy about hunting that stand for the first time, right? You know. I could just tell it. I was like, I was like, like this is the first time uh, he ever went out and hung uh, hung a stand for the first time. and was gonna jump in it for the first. I mean, he goes, "Dude, I love set. I yeah. love it. Yeah. I can't wait." Well, yeah, it just gets you. It gets you fired up, you know. And like going back to what we were saying with the, the whole confidence thing. Like, if you don't think you're gonna kill a deer there, why are you? Why are you there? When you hang that stand, like especially when it's fresh, you know what I mean. When you when you hung it, when you scouted, you found the sign and you hung it. Like your confidence is through the roof because you hung it for a reason. Mm-hmm. You didn't just, it wasn't something you hung in June or, you know, August or whatever, you know what I mean? And that you're coming back to four months later where you're probably, if you're being honest with yourself, you probably almost kind of forget why you hung it there to a degree. You know what I mean? And that, that shine kind of wears off of it. But whenever you're scouting, you find it, you hang it. It's like, I mean, like I know whenever I'm scouting and I find a tree. Even like in March, when I find a tree and I'm like, um, and I find a spot and I'm like, oh man, and I start picking out trees. And I'm going, okay, I think I would hunt this one on this wind. I could possibly get away with this wind on this one. You know, I start to get butterflies in my stomach. 
Like, oh, I, yeah. I legit get that excited where I start to get butterflies in my stomach where it's like, I just want to actually get up into the tree. I want it to happen now because I'm picking it because I'm, because I have a reason to pick it. And, uh, I think there's something to that, man. I mean, I think you partially like you will some of this stuff to happen. Oh, I, I truly believe that. I mean, I think you, it's like, it's the overwhelming confidence that it gives you like when you're, when you come into one of those, those spots that just, I mean, the sign's just red hot or you see the deer do something and it's just like, I, I told, I mean, last year when I, I killed, I killed that buck. I, I text, uh, I text, uh, my buddy Heath Cisco and Andre and I said, I'm killing that freaking thing. Tonight. <laughs> and, uh, Andre texts me back and he says, Oh, it's like that, huh? And I said, I'll text you in a little bit. And, uh, I was joking around, you know, just with my good buddies, but, but deep down inside in my, I'm like, no, really. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, man. So, you know, mentioned earlier, I, I know you really like to kind of target a specific deer, like you're kind of, mm-hmm. you know, a, a one deer, one deer guy, for lack of a better way to put it, right? You you find one you really yep. want to go after that fits kind of your criteria of maturity and, and stuff like that. So you want to chase, you know, how, what is your general knowing, knowing that that's kind of your approach in general, what does your trail camera strategy look like whenever you're trying to either gather inventory or whatever the case is, I guess just walk me through like your, the seasonal kind of changes of your trail camera strategy. Like imagining this time of year, you're thinking velvet and then you're transitioning as fall comes. Like what does that look like? Yeah. You know, this time of year, you know, I'm just running cameras on minerals um, and uh, that kind of stuff and just kind of getting a general understanding of like who made it kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Um, And I mean, once season, you know, and here's the other thing too. So once you get like closer to season, once you get into September and the velvet starts coming off, and I got, I got a couple of deer that I know for a fact they will not be on me since I'm like, right. And I know of one particular deer, he'll be down the road about four miles away on my buddy's place. And he'll show up down there. He's like, yep, he just showed up on camera down there now. And he'll be there all year. And so I never have, you know, there's some deer that you just never have a chance at, you know, um, you can try to gain access and stuff like that, which that's one thing I work a ton on. But when I start to, you know, to, to get in the season, um, I just kind of want to get a, a general understanding of where the deer is, is kind of coming and going mm-hmm. and where it's feeding. Um, and you know, sometimes I might jump in a tree like three, four days before season hmm. and just sit way and just sit way back and just watch. Because I, I know this and I've been I've been a victim of this um uh a few times. Now, cameras don't tell you everything, and sometimes we start relying on those things too much. I've been I've been there, I've done that. And there's been some, there's been some times where I've just spent the time and used some glass and kind of got told a little different story than what I thought the camera was telling me. Hmm. Um, and I think that's a good approach because I, early season is hands down my favorite. Hmm. Um, 
uh, I try to, t- I typically spend November going out of state and hunting. Um, so I spent October just, you know, trying to pinpoint the one deer that I want to go after. And, and, um, and so a lot of times for me, my trail camp strategy is more on food sources. And, um, I don't, I don't, if I put cameras back into like a bedding area or like a, a tight travel corridor that maybe I wouldn't hunt unless it was November or something like that. A lot of those cameras, I never even check them until after season. Okay. And I'll just let them soak. Um, the whole, I'll just let them soak the whole season. And a lot of times, those are the cameras that when I am trying to figure out some of that stuff on a particular deer, and I knew that deer from the year before, then I'll go back into those pictures and say, Oh, you know what? I remember I had this camera, this camera, this camera that was back in there. And I don't, I don't want to go back in there, in there because a lot of the places I hunt are a lot of small woodlots. Right. So sometimes I don't have that. I don't have a real good option to just go in there and just start kicking deer around. So I'll go and they'll just kind of take a look at those pictures and say, okay, yeah, just kind of start piecing it together a little bit based off of the year before back in there and, and the current cameras that I, that I have. And then, then from there, sometimes like, then I might, like I said, like have an obs- observation set or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I lay eyes on the animal, I'm like where he's, com- where he's coming out and what he's doing. then I make a move Then I just go and, just go in and, 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 and get the job done, essentially. If it's surgically extract him. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So with that early part of the season being kind of your kind of your favorite, um, you know, because I know you like to like to travel later in the later in the year. Like, mm-hmm. do you so always, you know, people for the longest time said you can't kill anything in the mornings in October. Like, don't even bother. You should always hunt evening. What What do you prefer in October? Are you a morning guy? Are you an evening guy? What's What's uh, What's your situation? Um, it seems like the evenings are better for me mm-hmm. in the early season in October. But if you can figure out a deer that's coming back from feeding and hitting a scrape on the, on the way to his bed, that's freaking, that's, that's like taking candy from a baby. That is, that right there is key when you can find those types of spots. I killed a buck on, on addictions a couple years ago. Um, that's what he was doing. And I killed him on October 15th in the morning. On a scrape. And he was, he hit a scrape and then he was coming through it and then he had another scrape. That he was getting ready to hit. So, how close were you? Do you think to his to where he was laying his head down? Um, I would say over there. I would say probably hundred fifty yards, two hundred okay. yards ish, somewhere. What was the? What was the? I guess like temp, moon, all that stuff. Was there something that told you? I mean. What what told you you could kill that deer? I guess in the in the morning. So, I had to go on a work trip, and 
one of the guys that was on the work trip, he's, he's a big bow hunter too. He kills, he kills some studs. And I had a cell cam back in there. And I set that. I I went over there and set one time, and I had uh, so many dogs come through <laughs> that evening, and and we're just jacking around in there the whole evening. I ended up getting down earlier, and so then I really didn't have anything. I was just kind of waiting because that, that spot kind of like I needed east way <laughs> to hunt in there, and. Um, and there's just some, there's some pine trees in there that typically I'll get into. And um, so I went back in there, or I was on this work trip, and um, I noticed on my camera how that deer was, like, showing up, like, you know, coming through there, like, just, just as it's getting ready to start the break daylight. And then, like, for the next couple of days, and based on the way the moon was positioned, that it was kind of, it, it was creeping towards, it was like, coming off of a full moon. And it was, like, a couple of days after that full moon, I noticed that he started to get a little bit, a little bit later, a little bit later, until, like, it was the day that I was going to be coming back from that work trip. He broke daylight in there. Hmm. And I told my buddy, I said, I'm gonna go in there and kill that deer tomorrow. I'm like, he's gonna he, he's gonna walk through there and shoot it with shooting light tomorrow. I'm like, look, look at I'm like, look at these three days, what he's done. And I said, the only thing that I can base it on is like nothing weather-wise has changed. And I said, all I need is an east wind. I got that. I got that east wind, and that deer came through uh, right and at seven thirty, eight o'clock, or whatever there in the morning, and and uh, was working those scrapes, and I killed him October fifteenth. And I think that had to do the wind did switch. Well, I had a little bit of a fifty wind that morning, but I got away with it somehow. Um, and and he, well, what helped me too is he didn't cut too far to my left. If he would have cut farther to the left, I would have probably got busted. But he stayed a little more to my right, which helped me. So I just, I mean, I was just out of that, you know, just on the edge of him cracking me. And and I think it, I think that particular case, it all had to do with that mood. That's that's interesting, man. Like, I guess. So, how much do you do you follow? Like, do you follow like the overhead underfoot type of stuff, or do you more so follow? Because I've I've heard different guys kind of they they use the moon differently, right? And yeah. some guys, you know, really really kind of religiously will follow that overhead underfoot, you know, moon. Um, and then other guys will be more so where they don't really pay attention to it much until it gets either on like three four days prior to a full moon and then three four days on the backside of a full moon what's your what's your approach to using using the moon so i'm never going to be a guy that like um it's you know it's a bad moon phase i'm not gonna hunt right right kind of thing mm -hmm. i don't i don't i don't know if i believe in that what i do believe in 
is like what you like what you were just saying. Like I want to use the moon um, to my advantage, whether that be um, I know that the deer it's gonna it's gonna put the deer feeding a little later on the fields um, in the morning where I can catch them going back to, to bed or, you know, catch them in their bedding area or something like that. Or maybe, you know, or maybe it's um, um, during, you know, late October through November or something like that. And, you know, you got a, you know, you, know, you got a full moon or something like that where the what action is going to be, you know, like you're going to have a little more from that 11 to 2 o'clock and it's going to be like, you're going to see some good stuff then where like, but it's going to be kind of dead in the morning. It's kind of dead towards the end of the evenings. Right. So I'll kind of play that a little bit. But the one thing I know, I don't, this is just my take on it. I can be completely wrong, but this is just the way I see it. The four days going into a full moon, mm-hmm. I feel like those four days going into a, a full moon is awesome evening i mean I, i've had really really good luck then then there's like a two or three day span in between there where it's like a little bit of hit or miss uh, a little bit of lull in the action and it's kind of a little i can't seem to predict that mm-hmm. as much then you go the four days after that then it seems like it gets really good in the mornings yeah, that's typically how I've how I've always used it. And to your point, it's like I don't hunt. I'm not going to not hunt because it's oh, it's a bad bad mood or whatever it is. You know, I'm a working mm-hmm. dude like everybody else. So it's like when I have time to get out, I you know I try to get out. Um, but I I'd be lying if I didn't say that I do look at the moon and I'm looking for that full moon when it is, and you know, and what does what days of the season related to October are those are those falling on? You know, especially like yeah. that. That fifteenth-ish time frame. I know you and I talked about this when I was driving the other day, mm-hmm. but that is has fast become probably my favorite time to hunt. Is that like thirteenth through the twentieth? And there's a bunch of different reasons, but like for you know that I've just found that I have the best encounters, and I can actually predict a little bit more what is going to going to happen. I can actually use my scouting. Put it that way. You know, I can yeah. actually use yeah. my, the intel that I gathered. I can actually use it during that during that time of year. You just have to be willing to kind of get in the mix because they're they're just not showing themselves out in the wide open yet and, and acting stupid like they will, you know, later in the year. So you got to kind of be a little bit dialed in, but if you are that time of year is, is killer. And that is whenever I will pay attention to the, to the moon, to the backside and the front side. I prefer, prefer the front side just because I prefer the morning hunts. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just seemed to have my best encounters um, in, in the morning, at least, at least around here, it might be different in different places, uh, but at least, you know, my home state around where I live, that's at least what I've, what I've seen. And the interesting thing is, is that my camera Intel wouldn't necessarily tell me that like my camera yeah. Intel su- doesn't suggest that it's just everything that I've seen in observation has been, you know, it, or, you know, as far as like encounters go and stuff like that has told me this area, that time frame, morning hunts. I just have the best, I just have the best, uh, the best hunts. Yeah. And it's, it's been kind of what I've been, it's been my personal experience is, October has been better. The evenings have been better for me in October, mm-hmm. or the, the mornings are better for me in November. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and I could, yeah, I could 
definitely go back and look at, you know, most of my deer and say, um, you know, most of the deer that I ever killed in October, besides maybe one or two, um, were all evenings where um, November, um, uh, it's probably just opposite of that. Right. When, so that, for that particular particular hunt you were talking about that you had, you got an east wind, and that's why you were able to get in there to to, to kill him. But you were mm-hmm. saying that your setup was like, eh, <laughs> you know, a little bit like you were like, eh, maybe this is good, maybe this isn't, maybe it's not the not the best. It ended up working out because he came in where he needed to be to 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 kill him. How do you how do you go about selecting the the correct tree? Because I think I think a lot of folks get hung up in trying to cover almost too much too much area. And they yeah. try to pick a tree where they have, where they can get, get to everything, you know? Yeah. And then in doing that, they really don't have an opportunity at, at, at anything. How do you, how do you go about picking your tree? And then I guess we can talk about wind off that as well. How you kind of think about wind in relationship to picking your tree. So it, I was that guy. <laughs> <laughs> at one point, I, I think we all were at some point. Yeah. Yes. hundred percent. That was me. I was rolling like that for a while. And I took myself out of contention on so many different bucks over the years when I was doing that and just trying to, you know, cover too much and, 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 and give them, you know, give them, you know, give them too much to where now, um, you know, I want a 20 yard shot, you know, mm-hmm. I want a 15, 20 yard shot. That is like ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of times it's, it's, you know, it, it's get it's getting in there, poking around, not being afraid to, to screw up something, you know, kind of playing those scenes out in your head, like having your imagination kind of like of uh, what you think the deer is going to do based off of the sign that you're seeing, whether that's tracks or rubs or scrapes or what, or train features. I mean, train features probably more importantly than anything mm-hmm. um, sometimes. And and just kind of playing out in your head to where I I think your your um, your instincts will take over and eventually like you'll end up at the tree of like okay if I'm here you know with this particular wind um, based off of this side you know roughly I'm I'm within fifteen twenty yards of where I think this deer is coming and and getting out of the mindset of like but if i go over here <laughs> then i'll be able to shoot over here 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 like i think you need to get to the mindset of like that's the trail right that's the one trail mm-hmm. that i cannot get no farther than 20 yards from it yeah and and then trying to pick out the you know the the correct tree because you know uh, I don't think a big deer just randomly walks you know I think these you know he has a you know he hasn't got to that you know point in his you know four five six seven year old life without you know being pretty methodical of himself yeah and some of the things some of the things that he's doing but I also think too. That, and I'll always believe this, that at the end of the day, it's an animal. There's no freaking way that animal is smarter than me. There's absolutely not a chance in hell that that animal is smarter than me 
Um, and, and I think sometimes there is times that we, we do give them a little too much credit. Yeah. No, um, I, yeah. I would hundred percent agree with that, man, because I think what they have is not necessarily intelligence. It's just like superior awareness is what is instance, what they have yes. and that they're just so yes. in tune with their surroundings things that we overlook uh um and don't recognize as disturbances are just are mm-hmm. huge disturbances to them you know it's like and i think that that's we mistake that for um for intelligence but i'm i'm curious whenever you when you set up because i've talked to different guys and guys have different approaches right like for me, typically, whenever I'm hunting in an area, when I set up, if it's, it just say it's in and around a scrape or whatever sign it is, like I want to be able to shoot to that. Like that's like mm-hmm. the thing that I'm prioritizing because I almost treat it as like a destination location, and and that's a very kind of like John Eberhart approach, right? And that's kind of you know one of the things I kind of picked up from him. There's other guys, yeah. you know, when I talk to guys like Nathan Killen or whomever, where it's like he doesn't necessarily hunt on the sign. Rarely does he hunt on the sign. He hunts. Mm-hmm you know, anywhere from like 50, 60 yards off of like, you know, a, a rub line or like a big scrape or whatever the case is. Like what's your approach to that? Are you an on the sign guy or are you playing how that deer might approach that sign instead? Um, situational. Yeah. I think, um, I think each situation is different. Um, and I think based on what kind of terrain that you're hunting, hmm. um, I think at times where, you know, there's times where it's like, you know what, I have to hunt on the side and be a little more on top of this. Where other times, um, hunting on the side is probably going to get me busted mm. based off of the wind or maybe particular, you know, trees that are over there to set up in or whatever, because I want to be, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, you're trying to just, you're, you're trying to complete the, the most su- utter surprise possible. Right. Um, and, and I, you know, it just, it's all s- situational. I mean, I think there's times too where it helps just to maybe take, if you're going to set right up on that sign, maybe go walk 10 yards. Uh, towards the other direction that you were possibly thinking about and just kind of look back and say, okay, no, you know what? Like you, I'm not going to get cracked up there. Um, I'm going to get away with it because there's been plenty of times where I turn around like, oh my God. Right. And this is not going to work. So then in that, in, in, in that case, I would take more of Nathan's approach. Right. And, and, and go over there. Um, because he's, I know, I know Nathan. He's a friend of mine, and and um, he's he knows what he's doing. Yeah, um, that's for darn sure. That that guy is he's a heck of a hunter, and probably even a better person. Yeah, hundred percent agree with you there, man. So, man, we've been going at this for a little while, and I want to be sensitive to your time, but I do have two last questions for you. So, mm-hmm. the first one is, I always like to kind of you know. Get a sense of like what that watershed moment was for people, because I think sometimes, uh, you know, people who are just you know still kind of learning or whatever, it's like they're kind of trying to figure out like what's that thing that's going to help me get over the hump to, to a degree. You know what I mean? And it's, it could be a multitude of things, but I'm always curious for for different guys what that what what that is. So, is there a moment that you can look back on and you can say, you know, man, when I learned 
this thing, strategy, tactic, whatever it is, when I learned this thing, that's when I really started to feel like I was hitting my stride and knew what I was doing and I was getting the encounters I wanted to have. And eventually, you know, the deer started falling. Um, it's kind of going to kind of be two parted. Yeah. Um, because one part of it is, you know, you can't kill what's not there. Mm-hmm. So you, you have to be able to get access to pieces that, that have the kind of gear that you're looking for and do not get married to one piece just because you got permission on one particular piece and you've been hung it since you were 10 years old or whatever. I, all I can say to that is like, keep knocking on doors, keep networking, keep trying to find your ground hunt because you don't know when that is going to change hands. Mm. And, you know, and when you might not have access to hunt that piece anymore or whatever. So uh, the one thing I will definitely say is get as much ground as you possibly can get access to. and. I spent a lot of time doing a lot of research, talking to a lot of different people, trying to get leads on on new ground. And I'm not talking leases. I'm I'm talking 75 to 80% of the stuff that I hunt is, is, is permission pieces Mm -hmm. and take the time every year. Don't get too comfortable with what you have because you can lose it. And I've lost some really good stuff in the middle of season before <laughs> that sucks <laughs> and that's that sucks because especially when other people that are maybe you know uh relatives or or closer friends or whatever know that there's a really big deer around when things change quickly yeah um yeah just have some options in your back pocket you know have some other you know, work at that. I mean, when February, you know, February, March, April comes around, that is, that's my time to like, okay, let's, let's get after this and let's get some, get some new ground to hunt because I don't want to ever be in a situation of, cause I've been there. Right. And it's not, and it's not fun of, uh, not having a place, uh, you know, a, a place to, to get in and hunt. I mean, you know, I got some public and stuff like that around around me around here, but it gets slammed. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it absolutely torched. Um, so I, I wanna, I wanna always, I always wanna have uh, plenty of, of of new stuff. Or because there's a lot of times, there's a lot of that stuff I never even thought in here um, because it didn't have that deer that I was looking for. But that doesn't mean it's not going to have that deer that I'm looking for next year. Right. So, right. yeah, I think what? I think that that's that's sage advice. You know, I, I always like to have plan A through Z. You know, whatever might whatever might happen during the course of the year. Um, but I think the other kind of unintended consequence slash benefit of that is as you continue to get more properties, especially for maybe a younger hunter or someone who's really trying to level up their game is that it forces you to then go have to scout those places. And I've always found scouting new places is oftentimes where I start to like uh, explore things that maybe were unfamiliar to me in the past that now all of a sudden mm-hmm. become part of my arsenal or understanding of how deer behave, you know? Um, 
so that's like I think one of the unintended consequences. Do you kind of feel the same way that like whenever you find a new piece or when you have to kind of learn a new piece, it that blank slate is. Uh, I mean, it's a challenge, but it also yeah. forces you to kind that's of really ex- dig in. But that's exciting, you know. That's yeah. really like uh, new brand excites me. I mean, that's I like really, really get into that part of it. Sometimes, sometimes I could get a little bit bored on the same farms year after year. Yeah. Um, where sometimes when you get on a new piece and you get access, it's like, oh, yeah. I mean, it's just like I just feel like a, a kid in a candy store, man. I'm just like, oh yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> that fires me up. Like I really get excited about that. Yeah. Um, I saw- and I think Go ahead. going back to like, going back to the uh, the other point, the, the other part of this. One thing I was going to say is like, you know, try to get good at a lot of different things mm-hmm. in this, you know, and uh, you know, you know, try to and try to always stop and you know stop and listen to a guy, you know, mm-hmm. and and and. I, that's the one thing I like. I like about like all you guys are, that are doing these podcasts and stuff like that. Like, man, I wish you guys were doing this stuff back in the day when I was starting. <laughs> God, this would have like burst a lot of headaches. And like I would, I mean, I, I mean, it's there's so much good information out there from a lot of good hunters. A lot of guys that are a lot better hunter than me, and I think. Take a little piece of a little bit of everything and um, try, you know, try different things and see what works for you because I'm sure you tried things before that didn't work for you that works for another guy and vice versa. And um, I know that I have and, and, but I think you just gotta like be willing to, uh, adapt and try new things yeah i think it goes back to something you said earlier about you know being you know not afraid to to fail at some things you know i I think it kind of goes back to that that kind of idea where you know whatever information you can take in is good information you just need to filter it at some point and, and use what works for you you know it's like there's certain things that people do that i know i mean i know it's it works it works for them but for whatever reason whether it's you know, it might be something where they're really, really patient with in, with this particular tactic and they have really great success at it. But my personality is just not, I'm not a super patient person. And so I know it's yeah. like, yeah. I've tried it and it just doesn't work for me. I'm much better of being with being aggressive and, and feeling like I'm always in the game as opposed to like waiting. I want to press the action as opposed to wait, you know, and that's, yeah. you know, and, and so over time, it's like, I've kind of learned that, you know, because I've, I've tried it both ways and I figured out like, okay, that doesn't work for me. It doesn't mean it doesn't work, but it just doesn't work for me. And the whole idea of being multiple is something that I've been kind of on a quest to do. You know, it's like, I always kind of equate it to like a, like a three, four defense, a big Steeler fan. So like their defense was always very multiple, you know, which meant they could just kind of adapt and match up however they needed to from game to game. And I've really tried to make that a point of my evolution over the past several years of like challenging myself to hunt different terrain, different types of properties, hunt multiple properties, you know, public, private, whatever the case is travel out of state to new states to, to see different country, to hunt different country that I'm unfamiliar with, hunt on the ground, hunt from a tree, like whatever it is, I want to be able to do it all, you know? And in that, and it's interesting because in that process, like I, I learned to enjoy hunting even more than I was before, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, if that was, if that was possible, because it was, you know, I never felt like I was going into a hunt and, and, uh, felt like I wasn't, uh, prepared to, meet whatever the challenge was, you know, 
Um, but anyway, man, last question, dude. Always like to end on always like to end on this one. You have your life depends on it. You need three tags filled, three buck tags filled, and you can choose three hunters from anywhere, alive, dead, famous, not famous, buddies down the street, whatever the case is. Your life depends on these three tags getting filled. Who are you putting on your team? Oh, well, I'm definitely putting my buddy Andre on that team. Good choice. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, if I was a big deer and he was after me, I'd be yeah. nervous. Yeah. Um, he would definitely be one. Um, um, uh, my buddy Hugh Cisco. Another um, good one. Yeah, he's you know he's another one that I would definitely um, put in there. Gosh, I got I got I got I got some buddies that are way better hunters than me. So I'm like trying to not you know I'm, I'm trying to choose wisely here on my my last one here. Right. Um, I would put I'd probably put my old buddy uh, Mountain Man Troy Pottinger on that list out there in Idaho. He's 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 uh. I, you can't help but give him a, a ton of credit for you know the stuff that he's been doing his you know, his whole journey yeah and and um you know he's uh i mean those those three guys i'm telling you right now if i'm if i was a big deer i'd be freaking scared out of my mind if the, one of those three were out after me yeah, I would I would flee whatever state I was in, whatever state they were in, as in, and I was in the same state. I would be fleeing that state. That would be the only way I would feel comfortable surviving. <laughs> yep, Troy's actually gonna Troy's coming out here to hunt with me this year. Oh, is he really? Nice. I'm actually headed to uh, to Idaho. I might get a chance to sync up with. I'm going out for an elk hunt, so we'll, I might get a chance. Are you? Yeah, I might get a chance to meet up with him while I'm while I'm out there. I'm on a pretty tight uh, tight schedule though, because I'm going out for the opener and work schedule and stuff like that. I think I'm going to get there like the day before the opener and then hunt for like, uh, six or seven days, I think. So we'll see if I have some free time. Dude, if you get a chance, hang out with him. Cause he's fun to hang out with because he's, he is wound tight. Yeah. I, I could, I could tell man, just from our conversations, I love talking to him and, you know, we'll text back and forth and, and, and stuff like that. And he's a, he's a hoot man. So I, I enjoy, uh, I enjoy spending time with him, but, before I let you get going, brother, uh, why don't you let folks know where they can follow you, uh, follow what you're doing with hunting, and uh, anywhere else where they can pick up any of your content. Um, you can um, Lone Wolf Custom Gear. Um, I um, I handle um, all the staff um, for for that for Whitetail Addictions. Um, um, you can follow me. Uh, I don't really do much on Facebook anymore. I just kind of, that's kind of more family stuff for me anymore, but, on uh, Instagram at, uh, Mason's dad, 1975. Um, but yeah, just, um, uh, our Lone Wolf custom gear, uh, YouTube channel. We, we got, a, you know, some content that I work on there with, uh, with, uh, Byron Horton. Um, but yeah, any, any of those places. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, folks should go check out the, uh, the YouTube channel cause there's some killer hunts on there. I find myself going down the rabbit hole, uh, quite frequently and actually even rewatching some of the, some of the hunts. I just watched, uh, one of yours, I want to say it was two, two weeks ago. I forget which, uh, which deer it was. I want to say you were hunting that deer for a couple of years if I wasn't mistaken. Hmm, which one was? It might, I don't think it was from last. Well, I don't, 
It might have been from two years ago, possibly. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I got. I think I got. I don't know. There's probably one, two, three, four. I probably got seven, probably seven or eight kills on there. Um, just you know, self film stuff. That, mm-hmm. right. And then, and then, uh, and then we got all of our episodes. Right, uh, we got seven or eight episodes done right now. We got some really good hunts. We got some young guys that we've. Younger guys that we've picked up too, that's on our staff too, that are and they're killers and they're on public land and they're and they're killing some studs and consistently doing it. And they're you know, um, they're fun. I've enjoyed like you know, helping Byron put these together. You know, it's been kind of kind of fun to watch these guys. Um, it kind of kind of takes me back a little bit too, like when I was like first starting. And getting into it, I, I see I, you can almost see yourself in some of this stuff, right? Now. Right, right, that's awesome, man. But yeah, folks should go check it out. A lot of great hunting content, brother. I appreciate you, uh, appreciate you coming on, dude. Uh, we need to stay in touch. Uh, it's been fun catching up with you, but it's been fun getting to know you. And uh, good luck this upcoming season, man. Thank you, appreciate you having me on. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. If you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Spartan Forge, Exodus, and Skull Brew Coffee Company. And until next time, we'll see y'all. Oh, 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 oh,